Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we talk about, of course, the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the other players at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And this week, we are talking about Dungeon Mastering. Of course. But what we're doing this week is a little bit different than we normally do. We're talking about DMing the title of the show for dummies. We're trying to, if we had to think about dungeon mastering and boil it down to the simplest things that we could think of, this is what we would be talking about. And so as we go through, we'll be talking about some of the things that, that we do, what it means to dungeon master, how do I prepare, should I know all of the rules, things like that. We'll give you our insight on all of those things, and you'll hear some stories about things that have backfired on us in the past and some things that have worked really well and things that we've stuck to. Yeah, we've had some people write in and say, hey, you give a lot of great ideas on what you can do with stories and monsters and everything, but we're new DMs and we need some help. And, you know, Chris, we've covered a lot of, like, help for new DMs throughout the show, but we just are going to create this episode that hopefully will be a good, if you're a new DM, listen to this episode and it'll be a good here's how you dm we're not going to get into rules we never really do that's going to be something you're going to have to do on your own time but we will give you advice for certain things we'll go a little bit into a couple certain rules that'll cover across almost all editions but it's just going to be this is our advice on how you dungeon master yep so before we do that we have some shout outs that we need to get to the first shout out we have is from I fight dragons 21 and he says great show great listen for dms of all experience and a must for those of little experience which is perfect for this yeah, episode perfect shout out thank you episode. so much i fight dragons 21 you're awesome the next one we have is from kearney bob this one is entitled amazing resource five stars it says i love listening to this podcast it has been my best resource along with the books yes that's, the books are great resources that's a good compliment. but we're probably the number two thing you should have <laughs> <laughs> wow cocky there <laughs> the next one comes from dm lotto and is entitled best podcast in the multiverse love it thanks dm lotto he says i'm i've quickly caught up on all the episodes and this podcast is simply amazing the ideas and stories kept my imagination firing on all cylinders for my own campaign Thanks for following me on Twitter so I could discover this great podcast. You're welcome, DM Lotto. Even Thank the collect- you for listening to our podcast. Even the collector probably has us in his vaults. <laughs> our last one for the day comes from JD9753386. Uh, awesome. And he writes, DM's block never disappoints! Exclamation point. He says, hosts Mitch and Chris consistently produce quality episodes of a clever and entertaining D&D slash RPG podcast. You can always count on this show for great ideas and topics to ignite creative inspiration. A legit resource for DMs looking to take their campaign creation, session prep, and game running to the next level. So thank you, JD9753386, for that (laughs) five-star review. Thank you, all you guys. Well, with that, let's get to story time. Story time. The time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns, our favorite moments where we learned about ourselves and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy Storytime. 
All right, so for story time this week, Chris, you have rejoined us from your honeymoon. You were able to sit back down in the DM chair again. The and only to, place that I have control over my life now. <laughs> and to rule over us once again as DM. So uh, we played in your campaign. Unfortunately, I had something that night that I wasn't able to be there until about halfway through the night. And Unfortunately for me, I wasn't there for pretty much most of the story aspect of the night. Yeah, and it was one of the nights where the story that happened, I was like, man, I feel like Mitch would really <laughs> appreciate this. And you got here yeah, and like we... Hearing about we, it, I'm like, that sounds really cool. We re-explained it to that. you and you just kind of were like... Okay, so we're fighting things now? Because it was like you weren't invested in <laughs> well, that at all. And you were I just had like, a long day it, yeah, before yeah. that. So, yeah, so it was just but, one of those things I was like, man... Well, that's really unfortunate because I yeah. know he really would have enjoyed the story aspect. Yeah, of it this was time, unfortunate. But. So for this story time, Chris, uh, it's pretty much up to you telling us the story aspect. I can tell us a little bit about the battle. But yeah. So well, maybe maybe you can just offer some some input insight. in now that it's not such a long. Oh yeah, I like day to talk afterwards. <laughs> so yeah, 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 yeah. So, anyways, the way our story started this time is we've we've been working through. You guys had just gotten done with the whole cave of the voiceless. You guys have been going through this for a while. You guys have, you know, you 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 defeated Robin. You finally found the dragon <laughs> spawn. You guys cut her hand cut off. her hand off, even though she wasn't dying at all. <laughs> and so you guys traveled through the wilderness. You ran into some weird creatures that were out there, uh, and you came to the city, the first city in South Otham that you could come across, called Kellner. And so you guys noticed as you were walking into the city that it was a little weird because you noticed that the snow had started to melt around you. And like as you see merchants coming out of the city, they don't look like they have a whole lot of like winter-esque clothing on. But as they're walking towards you, they're slowly putting on like more and more winter coats. And as you guys get closer to the city, you notice it's really stinking hot here. Like, why are we're we... in, like, swim trunks. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah you, you instantly start, like, taking off, like, layers of clothing because it's so... It's, like, it's not hot, but it's, like, it's just warm here. Like, if you were to wear winter clothing here, you would start to sweat profusely. Yeah. So you guys walked into the city, and you noticed that it was, like, this weird place that shouldn't be where it is. Like, it should be a frozen wasteland here. Like, like why a, are people like a, in, like... Almost, I think of like this theme park in like Skyrim. Yeah. Like summer funland in summer in summer funland in the middle of winter town here. <laughs> yeah, you guys walked into the city. You guys found a tavern that you sat down in an inn, and like you guys got treated really well there. Like they were trying to do their best to treat you as like kings and queens of the city. And so you're like, well, this is really weird. Like you guys may have heard of the, these types of places before, but like it wouldn't be anything that you ever would have asked me as the DM about. Like your characters might know a little bit. Like these places exist, but what the heck are they? I and mean, so you guys traveled around town. Like Caleb went and he like ran into this crazy potion guy who was like kind of like a beach bum type guy, and like <laughs> was just he got he was really into his potions. And at one point in time, Caleb like startled him, and he like shook upwards, and some of the like the potion mixed in with the other <laughs> ones and stuff. And uh, as Caleb was leaving, he got some, like, ingredients for potions and stuff. And as he was leaving, he just hears, poof, and he turns around. There's, like, this little squirrel sitting on the uh, <laughs> the countertop that once was the uh, the potion maker there. And, and Caleb stole and, all the potions. <laughs> no, Caleb didn't steal all the potions. But so Mark, like, he met some of the, the blacksmiths there, and they, start, they hit off a really good relationship. Casey, my brother, uh, met, like, this really just prideful arrogant elf who creates arrows and bows and stuff like that because my brother's a ranger so he likes that stuff and it was like as you're walking around like people are walking around with like 
drinks entrees for you to have. Like this is like a resort Your town. Full of really weird people. It's full of really weird, <laughs> weird people. Cultures. Yeah, like, weird we culture. Weird culture. fun land. We got worm wrangling town. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like you guys walk around the city for a while. You go to sleep the first night, and then the next morning you guys got up and decided, okay, we're gonna do a little bit of exploring in this town, a little bit more. And so you started walking around, and as you came to the town square, you noticed that there was a big ball of fire. Like, it almost, the way I described it is it looks like if you were looking through a telescope at the sun, like, that's kind of what it looked like in the middle of this town. But it wasn't as hot as what it looked like. And so Mark was like, can I go up and touch it? And I was like, I don't know. Can you go up and touch it? He's like, I go up and touch it. And I was like, all right, you can touch it. It, Like, it doesn't do anything to you. It just, like, you kind of pull it out a little bit, and some of the flame comes with you, but then it just sucks back into the ball of flame. But it seems like this is like heating the whole area here. And what everybody found out as we're talking with people of the the town square there is it was it's a flame that the god Pinion had given to this city. And there's other cities like it. This is like his blessing to this city to just heat this place up, make it just a really nice area for these people to live. And so it was like everybody was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like that's that's pretty cool to have in this city, like this big old ball of flame in the middle of an Arctic wasteland. That's pretty convenient. Uh, And so when you guys were sitting there, you were talking with some of the locals and some of the shopkeepers around the area. And all of a sudden, there's this voice that comes over, like, if there was a loudspeaker system there, it would have been coming over a loudspeaker. But there's just this disembodied voice, like an old old man talking. Like, he says, like, and now it's the time for the next phoenix to be chosen. And so almost like Elvis Dumbledore. Like Phoenix and that voice, like welcome to Hogwarts. Yeah, welcome to Hogwarts. And so he welcome to Summer Funland. <laughs> and so this is what ha- you know. There's people that all of a sudden are starting to talk to, like, oh, there hasn't been a Phoenix chosen in like 1,200 years. Like, this is weird. What's going to happen? And and so everybody of this city knows the lore of the Phoenix. And we're it's the like, foreigners who are like, what's going? on? You're the on? foreigners, like, what in the world's going on? And so you see some people that like start strapping on all of their gear, and like he. This voice also explains that there will be a contest, and at the end of the contest, there will be a new phoenix that's chosen. And they start explaining, like, the phoenix is, like, one of the mouths of Pinion. Like, he's the guy that can speak on behalf of Pinion. Pinion will communicate with them back and forth. Like, they're the people that, if the god is going to talk to anybody, it's going to be these people. And so... What ends up happening is people are like, oh, we got to get in on this. And so they start strapping on gear and swords and weapons and stuff. And some of these guys run up to the flame and like are yelling, choose me, choose me. And like these little tendrils of flame will come out and hit them. Some of them will disappear. Others of them, they'll just like get hit by it and stand there as if they're like not worthy of it. And like people will just be like, oh, no, that's so sad for him, <laughs> you know. So, so. And we we got hit by them, right? Yeah, you got you guys didn't exactly I still haven't know. arrived yet in the game time. Yeah, you like, hadn't arrived at this point yeah. yet, and so you guys like you had this weird moment where it was like you didn't know quite what was going on, and all of a sudden, like it was almost as if you had like waited too long, and the tendrils were like, "No, we know who we're gonna choose out of this group already to come here." And so, like five of them shout out at you guys, and one of them we had another. Uh, my old roommate from college started playing with us yep. this past week, and so this is how you guys met up with your characters. Is that it? shot out and grabbed him as well and so now you guys are walking through you 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 end up in this room where this voice continues to explain to you about like how you're going to become one of you is going to become the next phoenix that'll be the mouth that speaks for pinion and speaks to to pinion and so i it was funny talking with like caleb afterwards and my brother afterwards they're like so 
what does this mean exactly? Like what happens, like, do we go through here? And if there's only one that survives, like what in the world's <laughs> like, well, are we all going to slowly die? Like what's what I'm going interested on? in is now, I didn't know that more people besides us got pulled mm-hmm. in. So, and so there's why more is it people vying six for of you, right? this spot. Um, hmm, okay. That's yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah. And so where did they go? They're not yeah. with you guys. Like it's you six that came here. What happened to the ones that disappeared? Don't you think if they're not here, maybe they should have just stayed? Like, where did they end up at? So there's a lot of different interesting aspects to this place that you might find out, you might not find out. And so you guys started going through, and what's in, what ends up happening is you guys will walk through, like, this... Uh, well, the first thing that you guys faced was what? Do you remember what you guys faced a the first time? nine-headed? Yeah. Nine-headed Hydra with, like, fiery eyes and breath fire breath, attacks yeah. and, like... Yeah. And you said you were setting up the battle. That's what I came in. I came in. I sat down. I'm like, oh, looks like we're in a battle. What are we fighting? A nine-headed Hydra. And as the DM, one another person who's a DM, knowing stat likes I'm like, nine heads <laughs> and fire? I really hope this is a dumbed-down homebrew version because yeah. we're not surviving this, yeah. guys. Yeah. So you guys started fighting this. This was like... It, it, it was severely neutered. Yeah. Uh, it was supposed to be like these, like it's like an introductory, like you're going to fight some pretty crazy things in here. Uh, this is also a challenge. So be prepared to face yeah. anything. Well, because right? the worst part about a Hydra is that it gets an attack of opportunity in 3.5 at least, which is what we were playing for each of its heads. So if you run in and you're not within its reach yet and you run as soon as you get in reach, it's with nine heads, it'd be nine Hydra attacks coming at you, which yeah. I, I'm just like, oh my gosh. That's well, scary. and what I did, I don't know if this is a thing or not, but I, I treated them almost as like individual heads. Mm-hmm. So some of the attacks of opportunity I saved for like, cause I thought you were going to start running gotcha. into battle. Like, so I did some against Mark and I was like, oh, Mitch is going to come running yep. in soon. And then you didn't because you had to cast off your spells. I was like, <laughs> well, missed that yeah, opportunity. I was you know? not running. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, he'll probably run. And then Mark just got blasted. The by worst like, part was all my fireballs were useless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you came into like this fire gods. Yeah, I'm like, oh, whatever fire this place hydra? is. Yeah, I'm not using fireball. Yeah. yeah, and so you guys, like, what you noticed is like this was just a room. There was no hallways or anything. And so once you guys defeated this thing, all of a sudden a couple of different doorways opened. And so as you're walking through this dungeon, you notice that every time you go into a room, the walls all like close, whether it's you go through like a gate or a door or whatever. The minute you guys step through, the door closes and you, there's no way out. Like you yep. have to face, you have there's to nothing else out. in the room at yep. all right away. And so other, like some of the rooms so far, I think all of the rooms have just been monsters appearing in front of you. Like they just, mm-hmm. just appear into thin air. When they die, they fall over. At the end of the battle, they all burn up and disappear. And then, you know, the voice will say like, well done or good job or something like that. The doors will open and you guys can continue on through the dungeon. You, at yes. one point in time, you know what you did. I split the party. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I, well, I don't think I try, you did it. I don't think I, you did the first time intentionally, I tr- though. No, I tried. Me and me and your roommate, Tyler, uh, tried to split the party. Yeah. He, like, I sit down at the table. He's like, let's split the party. I just put my hand around his shoulder and I knew, I know him. He's my yeah, friend, yeah, yeah. too. I was just like, I like you. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, the <laughs> first, you remember what you did D&D. the first time that well, you accidentally split? But that it? was the thing is I tried, like, me and him tried to go off by ourselves and the rest of the group that hates splitting the party were annoying and they just followed us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I went through a door and I'm like, 
come on. I forget Tyler's character, but I called his name. I'm like, come yeah. on, you. And I walked through the door and the door shut behind no, me. No, you you changed right? into no. a bird or something, didn't oh, you? Yeah, and you yeah, flew through. It was through. a portcullis. Yeah. And so we, like, we. Because you guys were like, well, we can't it. open it. Like, yeah. what in the world is going to happen? And so happen? I changed into a bird so I could just fly through the hole in the portcullis. And then it, like, completely it disappeared. Sealed off, and you were in the and room. I was by in the yourself. room with two salamander, yeah. fire salamanders. And, but the nice thing was that I had flying without my bird form and all this mm-hmm. other thing. So I just transferred out of bo- bird form, Boyd form, um, flew up high and, and then just, just cast just, some spells. I yeah. just decimated yeah. them and they came through and I was like, I could do this all day, yeah. guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it was one of those things that it was just like, well, that kind of is unfortunate for you, but luckily you picked that room but it was and not anything for me else. Also. Yeah. <laughs> then, then we lifted the portcullis. All it needed was us yeah, to lift it. Yeah, all it needed was you guys to lift it. Yeah. And so you guys are still traveling through. We ended the night with you guys still traveling yep. through this wherever it is. Video gamey like yeah. dungeon. Yeah. And so I know I've talked with my brother. I've talked with Caleb. I've talked with Mark. And they're all like, I don't know what the Phoenix is really, but I really want to be it. All you know? I said was, if it's like the Marvel's Marvel Comics Phoenix, yeah, I don't, don't want to be it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so there's just, uh, it'll be interesting because some people think like, I know Mark and like Casey and Tyler, I think, have started counting their kills because they think that's how they're going to be chosen. Could be one possibility of how they're going to be chosen. I have a theory on what the Phoenix is. Okay. I think that it's going to give whoever becomes the Phoenix some sort of rebirth power. Or maybe you have to die in this dungeon to become the Phoenix. But I would imagine it's at some point you have to die. Not just like, oh, you died. You're the Phoenix. Good job. You're the first to die. Shove your own sword Because I would imagine that with the other people who have been sucked in, (laughs) that somebody's already chosen as a Phoenix if that's the case. Because we're pretty boss. (laughs) Yeah. You might be right. Yeah. You might be right. We'll see. It'll be interesting. You guys... (laughs) You guys will probably find out this next time we play yeah. my campaign. I I would imagine, unless you guys decide to be really stupid for some reason, you'll probably <laughs> get through this next time. Yeah. And it'll be pretty cool. It'll be something cool that will, you guys, one of you will be written down in the lore of the world cool. for a while. So that's exciting. It'll be pretty cool. So yeah, so you guys have that. Um, and we just ended with you guys, I think you went through like four or five rooms so far. You also had this moment in time where you're like, like what I tried to do in your campaign where you're like... I'm going to try and name something. Oh, you yeah, tried yeah. to like scribble on the uh, wall your well, initials. Well, I wanted to mark off the room so that we knew if we were coming back into it because uh, this is another... We realized we haven't played in a dungeon for a while that like the players have had the map of the dungeon in front of them. <laughs> like, oh, we bought this map of this place and we know how, where to go. Yeah. And so it's really, as a visual person, it's so hard. And I know that's why for you, the the maze is also really hard because it's like... And the dungeon master's like, oh, you turn right, and then you turn left, and then you see this room, and then you turn left, and then you go right. And it's like, I just forget any idea, yeah. which is funny because in real life with, like, driving and going places, oh, I'm I remember, really good at yeah, it. Yeah. I'm really good at remembering directions and, like, and having a good sense of directions, which is hard because having it explained to me, like, you go left, you go right, you go straight, blah, 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 is way harder to role play any good sense of direction because you can't really make a map on the fly. It never yeah. turns out well, but yeah, so I started to carve my Karab's initials into the walls and I said it was the, because I mentioned a couple of times, this is like a video game. This was Karab's 
I'm I'm putting my high score yeah. <laughs> initials yeah. into yeah. the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was trying to pull a crew or there and say yeah. trying to name I create everything. high scores for this world. I think we should name this thing. Which Bastion. is mostly me being sarcastic, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. 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 So it was a fun night overall. It's unfortunate that you couldn't join us for the beginning yeah. part, but yeah, we'll find out what happens with that next time. I'm excited. Yeah. All right, with that, let's head to the meet. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Carve it up! Fist a mouthful! No! Looks like meat back on the menu, boys! All right, Chris, class is in session with this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block and this segment of The Meet. We are going to be talking about Dungeon Mastering 101, Dungeon Mastering for Dummies. Basically, we're going to, for anybody who's new to DMing out there, for anybody who hasn't DMed and they want to start DMing, we're going to try and break down how to Dungeon Master, how to, if you're playing a different game, how to Game Master what goes into it. So first question right off the bat, what does it mean to be a dungeon master? You and me will talk a little bit about what we think that is, but first off, I'm looking right now I'm looking at the 3.5 Dungeon Master's Guide and it asks that question, what is a dungeon master? And it says, in your role as a dungeon master, you're the focus of the game. If the game's fun, it will be to your credit. If it's a failure, you'll get the blame, whether it's deserved or not. <laughs> Don't worry, though. Running a D&D game is not as hard as it may seem at first. But don't tell the players that. <laughs> it also says, what is a DM? Dungeon mastering involves writing, teaching, acting, refereeing sometimes, arbitrating, and facilitating the game. And so, yeah, the DM is the one who runs the game, runs the story, runs the campaign, runs the adventure. He's the one or she's the one who provides the adventure, writes the adventure themselves, knows the adventure if it's a pre-generated adventure. They run the monsters. Sometimes they're the ones teaching the game to new players. They're providing the world sometimes, creating a world. Which we both do, and I've yep. really enjoyed doing we that. We both do. So, yeah, that's what a Dungeon Master is. Anything else, Chris, that you would say the Dungeon Master is? No, I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, you have to be fun, I think, yeah. going into this. You have to have a fun, creative idea going into yeah. this, I think, is another thing. So, yeah, why would somebody want to be a Dungeon Master? Because it is more, I would say it is more work than a player, being yeah. a player in a campaign. Yeah, I, I think one reason that somebody might want to become a Dungeon Master is because the one they currently have is awful. Uh, <laughs> that is true. I think true. that, that might true. be one reason why somebody <laughs> wants to DM. Uh, I think another reason that somebody wants to DM is just they have a story to tell. Yeah. I know, like, we both talked about this when we were little. D&D was a great release for some mm -hmm. of the stories that you had as a kid. You remembered running around your house, yep. telling <laughs> stories, always fighting things. Like, I used to do the same thing, not to the same caliber. Uh, <laughs> I don't think. I don't know how bad you were. Uh, but, like, at least not to the same caliber as my brother. I know that much. My brother could take a little Lego creature or guy and just, like, create a whole adventure running around his room. Oh, yeah. I was that not was I was not that. I don't think I could take a little Lego guy that's like a white head and yellow body. I don't think <laughs> I could do that and create an adventure, but I had stories running around my head of things that I wanted to tell and this is a perfect outlet for some of that stuff. Yeah. I think you and me come from it from that point. We're definitely both the storytelling DMs. We want we have stories we want to tell them. And so if you are that kind of person, you love fantasy or sci-fi or whatever games that you 
want to play as far as role-playing games and you have a story that you want to tell, you have stories that you want to tell, you want to get them out, dungeon mastering could be the perfect yeah. place for you. Or yeah. it is if you're already doing that. Also, I know for me, I don't know if this is how you are, Chris, but I I can recognize some of my flaws and one of them is that i'm a little bit of when it comes to role-playing games a little bit of a control freak yeah and so i i like to be in control and i i hope i do it well as the dm and i just i like when i'm creating that world i want to be in control of what the story of that world is and and i know there's players who are the same way they want they're the same way with their character well as a dm if that is a flaw, there's two ways to go about it. One, don't be a DM because if you're not able to do it in a good way, like if you're not if it becomes a problem, you're going to end up with no players. But two, maybe you're you recognize that about yourself, but you're also able to go, "Okay, well, I want to turn this into a good thing and not a bad thing." And right. maybe you like being in control, maybe you like being the leader, running the game. And so DMing is a good place for that. Maybe you are the person who likes to know all the rules. DMing is a good place for that. Some players will want a more combat rule focused game, and so that maybe is your place to step up and be the leader. And I was gonna of that. say too, maybe there's a combat that you've always wanted to run against, I don't know, a vampiric hydra or something like that, and you have never had a DM who's done that for you. This is a perfect chance yeah. for you to be able to do some of those combat yeah. things that you want. Because you not only get to be a part of the combat, you get to run the creatures that you've always wanted to fight against. And so you know everything this creature can do, and you're the one controlling it, which is the best of both worlds if you are into combat at all. Exactly. Okay, so that's kind of what being a dungeon master is and why you might want to be a dungeon master or why you are a dungeon master. We've had people, I've had people in real life and from just the internet, like sending us emails, Twitter questions from us starting this podcast, ask us this next question. Should I know all the rules? I want to be a DM, but I don't I don't know all the rules. Like, is that bad? And I know what both of us are going to say because we've shared it many times on this podcast. But Chris, if you sat in on any of our sessions, you <laughs> yeah. would know. Should you as a DM? I want to DM for the first time, Chris. Do I need to know all the rules? No, you don't need to know all the you rules. You don't need to that know. That was all one rules. thing that I was a little bit intimidated by yeah, the first I think time. Most people are. Yeah. Like I remembered I remember the first time I started, I went back and I read through the three point five rule book. Not all of it, but just so I was like, okay, I know most of the things that will be brought up at the table because I didn't know every single rule. Mm-hmm. Like I may have heard about and we it. We still don't. And we still don't. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I I was nervous about that. The reality is don't be nervous. Somebody will always know more about the rules than you will. That's at the table. Or they might know more about a specific, a specific rule, rule than you yeah. do. And it's okay to stop and say, okay, I don't know exactly how that rule works. Let's talk about this as a group. Now, it might slow play down a little bit, but your players aren't going to be like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. He's an idiot. No, like <laughs> If they are, there's another problem there. If they there. are, there's another problem <laughs> there. But yeah, I think for the most part, people will be okay with you not knowing all the rules. And... And use it as an opportunity when you're DMing to learn the rules as you go. And that's that's what DMing is going to be. That's what, like, no player of D&D, no DM starts off and they know all the rules. No. I don't think there are many DMs out there who would say confidently, I know every rule of the edition yeah. I play. There are some people who know a lot of rules. Yep. 
But there's if you look at the books that are made for Dungeons and Dragons, they're huge, and there's a lot of them. Pages, yeah. The longer that a edition is out there, the the more rules there's going to be, mm-hmm. the more books there's going to be. You're not going to know all of them, and your players should understand that. And you need to understand as somebody DMing, you're not going to know all the rules. Learn them as you go. Learn them as a group. Have your players help you in a good way. But don't be afraid of the rules and don't be afraid to, as even the Dungeon Master guides say, throw out rules if you don't like them or change yeah, rules if one you of the very first don't pages, like them. Yeah. yeah. The next question that we wanted to talk about is how do I, as the Dungeon Master, prepare for a D&D or any kind of role-playing game session? And so we're just going to give you our advice about how we prepare and how, uh, well, let's First of all, let's talk about our first time dungeon mastering. How did we prepare for a game? Chris, you want to go first? I way over prepared the first <laughs> time that I went into a dungeon or as a DM for a night. I had like probably like 12 pages yeah. worth of stuff, just like random names. And I mean, just everything that I needed to do. I mean, I was basically the first night it was like, if ever there was a chance to railroad my group into doing something that I wanted, it would be the first night. Because you, you had. Because I was like, I don't want to mess up. From like, A to I B. Don't, yeah, I was like, goes I don't. Goes to C, goes to D. Yeah, I don't want to be wrong. I basically yeah. manuscripted the whole first night of mm-hmm. what I was going to say, which took a lot of time. And is a very, I mean, it it got me, I mean, it, it was pretty useful for me that first night because I needed that. But as it's, as it's gone on, I think I've prepared less and less of a manuscript style format. And now I do more of a like bullet point format of like, these are the things that if I was going to have it run this way, I would have it happen. Point A, point B, point C, point, point D. But I also leave things like, I leave areas where it's like, this could potentially go a different way. I don't have anything necessarily planned out for that way, but that's a way that it could possibly go. So the first night I prepared a lot, the next times on, I've prepared, I don't want to say less and less, but I've prepared less of a manuscript going forward uh, in more of just a bullet point format. But what about you? What did your first night I, ever preparing well, look The for? first night ever for me DMing was, and I've shared this before on the podcast, was uh, we were playing in a game. I was a player, and the DM got up and said, I got to go. I got to leave. And it was like... It was only eight o'clock at night, yeah. and we were in college. And we were in college. So it was like, this was the days of like fourteen hours. Like yeah, D&D me nights. and my friends look at each other. We're just like, what? Like, no. <laughs> like, and so we haven't gotten our fix yeah, yet. <laughs> exactly. And so I wanted to continue on, and so I said, "All right, guys, I'll try it." And so I, my preparation for my first time was absolutely yeah, nothing. you did completely. It was complete improv, and it was a. Gr- it was such. It still is a great, great like memory in my mind yeah. of just like learning certain rules. I remember this one battle that I DM'd where it was like the the other players was like a halfling and a typhling and a human and they're trying to beat this cult and it was like a chase scene of the the they're running around this cabin <laughs> and they're running up and down a hill and falling and like all tripping over each other and it was like those old cartoons were like the that's basically what it was and but it was so great just not knowing the rules but starting off and having fun with my friends but then the next time from there i was hooked and so the next time i came to the table like you just prepared to the max yeah. with probably like six nights worth of like oh, what yeah. I yeah. need I could do. And I learned very quickly that 
and I've never heard anybody say differently than this if they've gone in like like our mindsets if I want to be prepared. I want, yeah. I've never heard somebody go in with the I really wanted to be prepared, so I prepared and go, I didn't have enough. Like I've always heard somebody say, I had so much more. And yeah. here's the thing in in my advice. Like, if you're going to DM for the first time, make sure that you're prepared. Yeah. I would say go for that. Over-prepare. Is, like, don't drive yourself crazy, but if you end the night and you have six more sessions, like, that you think you could do... You have six awesome. more sessions yeah. that you, you think you could do. You have more stuff yeah. that you can do, and yeah. you're prepared for more sessions now, and that's fantastic. And it is a learning process, like you were talking about. Like, now I don't do those manuscripts and, like writing out things and I've come to learn that you know when you write out the speech for the guy this guy says this at this moment like it's always you a lot think, more lame yeah than, you, well you yeah. think like oh I've written it out so every word has been de- delicately picked so it's gonna be way better however when you pull out the sheet to read you start to realize oh this sounds way worse when I'm reading it yeah. than if I just act out even if I don't know every single word I'm gonna say it's better to act out on the spot I think at least in my experience yeah. But now I just do outlines. But if this is your first time DMing, just I would say I would highly recommend make sure that you are prepared and make sure that you're you go in going, yeah, I've got enough stuff for this first mm-hmm. session. Uh, because if you over prepare, that's okay. And you'll you'll learn how much you and your group need to be prepared for the next session and the next session after that. And I think the one thing I would say that uh, we've said this advice before, but start small. And what I mean by that after just giving this long thing where me and Chris have said, you know, be prepared, make sure you're prepared is Make sure that you are preparing with the intent of, I need to make sure that night one is done. Yeah. <laughs> and then night two is done and night three is done. We've put, we played or we didn't play. No, we did play in a campaign one time where the DM had spent months playing a campaign and making this world and making a city and making the story. And we finally got around to playing and he didn't have anything for night one. And so we were like, <laughs> sure, uh, sure. how are we going to play in this campaign if you don't have night one? Like, right. we don't care about, like, we would care about your world and everything else if we got to play if in we the world. Get more but if we in never slowly, get to yeah. play your game, then why do we care about every other ounce of work that you've put into it? Yeah. Because we don't know it. And so we finally played one night, then he didn't have enough for a night two. That campaign never, ever right. continued. Right. Because he didn't start with the beginning like maybe start small is wrong maybe start with the beginning like if you're planning we've said this in the very first couple episodes of this show if you're making a world start with an island and then build out yeah start with a town and then build out Mm -hmm. like because if you start with the continent and then you come to the table and you've got the continent but you don't have a single town to start in like what do you do you're gonna have to come up with it on the spot and maybe it's not gonna be what you want it to be right so you need to like start at the beginning start it like chris like you said like you had that manuscript of like a b c you know start at a (laughs) yep don't start it like z and work your way backwards but you need to you need to make sure that you have what you're going to start with prepared rather than have all these big other pictures that you'll never get to because you need to focus in and start with what you're going to be playing. So yeah, I mean, even even though we're saying be prepared, be prepared, be prepared, like have enough for point A for starting starting one night, doing one night well, there are going to be times that even though you prepare, 
there's going to be times where you're going to have to go off of what you prepared. Absolutely. Uh, like we talked a little while ago, if you remember from a story time a couple weeks ago, where you guys helped Dwalem win those ships. Yep. It was literally two lines, the first two lines of the night. You guys get back to the island. He has a little bit of an interference. I didn't expect you guys to go there. Yeah. At all. But you did. And it took about three and a half hours of a four and a half hour stuff you night hadn't worth of prepared D&D. for. And it was literally, I showed you like my notes. I was like, it says two lines here yeah. of this. <laughs> and you guys went off off script for three and a half hours, which is okay. It was one of the most memorable things we've done next to great, worm wrangling yeah. so far. Yeah. <laughs> like the those things happen and they make some of the best memories ever in DD. So don't be scared to improv a little bit. Just have fun with it when those times come. Even if you need to take a second go. Hold on, guys. I hadn't planned for this. Give me one second just to think about this. Like, let's take a like five minute break yeah. so I can and maybe you just sit at the table and let your buddies like either play a small game uh, or they can go and get, get snacks or, or whatever. Like that, yeah. And you just stay at the table and just write some notes, like get everything planned out, like in your mind, and just take a second to go. Okay, what happens now that they went? this direction instead of this direction that I had planned for. Well, like, yeah, don't be afraid to improv. Don't be afraid to let them get like make decisions that make them go a certain way that you weren't planning. It'll, your players will really appreciate that. It'll be a lot of fun for them. Don't be afraid to improv. Chris, that happened to you after you had DM for a while now. Yeah. And so like you've had experience doing that. It can be scary your first time, but you'll get better at it. Like it, it is something you get better at and realize, oh, like this is something I can do in improv. And the, I think the last thing I would want to say with preparing is that I have met and talked to a couple people who DM and have said, I don't prepare at all for D&D. I just come to the table and hey, if that works for their group, that's awesome. I would advise against that. I think if you're not preparing at all and you're coming to the table as the DM, I don't I don't see how you're doing that and like running a really good game. I think that even just the outline makes it so much yeah. better of like, this is what is going to happen tonight. These are some monsters that you can face, like whatever it is. I would almost recommend if you are going to do some sort of improvisation only campaign, have a list of generators that you can come up with so you can at least keep the flow of it going by being like, oh, what's this NPC's name? You just click a button and it says, oh, you know, this guy's name is Billy or whatever. It comes up with some name. Have some sort of generator because if long pauses can kind of kill the flow Mm -hmm. sometimes of your game. And so I think if you're going to do completely improv, if you don't have the time to prepare as much, have some generators that you can use that are handy. Like if you need, there's, there's tons of them that you can have that are like, I need a quest. Boom. It'll give you a list of like six different quests that you could go on for the night. And then that at least gets your juices flowing. Even if you're doing impromptu, you're still thinking about like, okay, what's going to be down this quest as they travel down this way. So have some of those things too. at least be prepared for your first couple times. If you decide you, your preparation is not being prepared, like, and just coming into and just improving everything. Like, don't do that the first couple times we would recommend. And you know what, if, if you're doing that and your players are liking it. That's great. But I know I, as a player have realized when DMS don't prepare like that, they're just pulling things out, everything out of their butts. And I've gone, this is not a good game right now. Um, I think in my years of DMing, I've only done that. I honestly think I've only come to the table, not prepared once. And I know that my, I was thrown off by having nothing in front of me. No, no notes, no idea of what was happening. And I remember it being like, oh, that week, something, every, it's just stuff happened and it was just life happened. And I wasn't able to prepare because I love the game so much that I just prepare like 
so much and I, I build my word, worlds constantly, but like maybe that week I should have said, hey guys, let's do a board game night because I wasn't, and just be upfront with your players. Hey, life happened this week. I wasn't able to. And I think that's one of the great things, Chris, with what we have going with the UDM, IDM, UDM, IDM, because I've been way less stressed DMing with knowing, all right, Chris is going to DM next week. So yeah. now I have we two get a weeks little bit prepare, of a break to prepare, which yeah. is nice. So yeah. you could set up that with your group of friends as well. Yeah, that's talking about preparation. Let's talk about now we're going to break down the different aspects of the game. One, let's talk about the role playing aspect of the game, role playing and role modeling as the DM. So D&D is a role-playing game. So as the Dungeon Master, I think it is a huge part as the Dungeon Master for you to encourage your players to role-play. Maybe you're part of a group that that doesn't even need to happen because you're part of a group with people who love to role-play. Yeah. But maybe you're part of a group that's a new group and you're deciding to DM for the first time and that's something that's needed. Maybe you have players in your group that aren't natural role-players and they need encouragement. So what are some ways that you can encourage your players to role-play and be that role model? Role-playing role model. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that you can do, uh, and this is one of the things that is probably... Probably the weirdest thing to do the first time you DM. I think so, yeah. Is speaking in your character. Now, there's a difference between speaking in character and voices. We'll talk about voices next. But speaking in character, if you are going to be the DM, you're going to have a lot of NPCs that you're going to come up across. And instead of maybe saying, he says this, like he says, the inn will cost $5 or five gold or, you know, five silver pieces or however much, whatever, however nice the inn is you're staying in. Actually say it as if you were the character. Welcome like, to say it. Bumble Bottom Bed and Breakfast. Right, right. A stay here at our inn costs this much yes. for the night. Yep. Say something along those lines. Don't just say, you can, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think if you were going to encourage and get the most out of your players, have the most fun, do it along the lines of speaking in your character, asking questions, make it, if you do it, and then you say your character, your one of your players says, "Well, I give him five silver pieces." Would, would would you really just give him five silver pieces, or would you talk in character? Oh yeah, and, and even say, that, say you know? even just encourage them by just saying they say, "Oh, I give him this much money, and I ask for the key." Just right. say, "Well, how about you say that in character? Why don't you right. just role play it in character?" So you have them instead say, here's your money, good sir, and have them say, could I have the key to my room? Like whatever, like little things, just encourage them, hey, why don't you instead of just, well, say it in character. Yeah. Say it in character. And you'll find that as you do that more and more, you'll have to ask less and less because it'll just be something that just naturally happens. And if you do it with everybody, everybody will start to feel comfortable doing it. You'll also realize that the more and more that it happens that people start saying the opposite of that and just say my character says this and my character says this it'll start to spread i've noticed around the table yep. and everybody will start doing it so the more you have that out of characterness go on the more and more people start to i think honestly their minds leave the story and it starts to become less and less of yeah. a you're involved in the story themselves voices like you said i think that character voices are fantastic i love doing them i've met many of people who don't like doing right. them and I've met people who have DM'd and they don't like doing voices. But I think as a DM, it's great to do voices because it becomes really stale when you meet character A, B, C, D, and they all talk the same. Right. <laughs> They're all talking in your same voice. And it's all it just makes it more fun. 
especially, you know, we just talked about speaking in character. I think the hardest, honestly, here's my, the hardest thing for me, I think, one of the hardest things for me as the DM is when, it, and it's funny, it doesn't happen as often as you'd think, at least in my campaigns it hasn't, that I'm DMing for three or two or three characters or more, and those characters, instead of talking to the players' yeah. characters, are talking to each other. That's one of the weirdest things for me. Yeah. When I have to do, like, this voice and that voice, and but, like, those voices, those distinct character voices, if they don't have different distinct character voices, then it's just you saying this to you and you, like, speaking back to yeah. each other. And it can be weird, but I also encourage people to, to have those you're DMing and you're talking uh, this character and this character are talking because, hey, almost every time I do it, like you guys around the table laugh because you can see how it's difficult for me, but just embrace it. Like what's wrong with what's wrong with laughing and having fun at the table? And if people are laughing at you, whatever, just embrace it. Whatever. They're they're laughing with you. If you just say, ha, it's funny too. I get it. I think the biggest thing, if I could give you one piece of advice here or see what you think of this too, Mitch. I would say at least start with speaking in character. Maybe voices will come later because the voices can be a little bit more intimidating trying to do accents or speak at speaking as the opposite gender is so hard oh, so, <laughs> so weird so hard and there's some people raise that raise the yeah. pitch like hello yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's always like a guy trying to speak as a woman uh, is always funny a woman yeah. trying to speak as and a guy I is found always at, funny like at least with you guys as my players you'll try to talk to like if i'm talking a woman's voice you'll try to talk oh, to them for way longer stop it guys you got the information yeah. you need go away yeah yeah so I yeah I would say start with at least speaking in character voices. You don't ever have to do voices, but just slowly work your try and work your way into those. And once you got the voices down, then start trying to like literally act at the table. Yeah, like you have a character who's mad. Your PCs have come back. They killed the character they weren't supposed to on this quest they were on. Your NPC is super mad at them. Stand up at the table. Slam your fist in. And yell at them in their voice. Yeah, I've I've reached across the table before and like not hurt people, but I've like grabbed grab them the by the collar yeah. and like yell at them. And it's like it gets people into it. And and I've seen players like stand up and do the same kind of thing. And it's just do it. It's fun. Yeah. Be that role model, and it'll get other players. It's into amazing it. how a simple fist pound in the fit of yeah. rage will just like you'll see everybody just like <laughs> their heads will just fling back yeah. right. And whoa, they'll just be like, whoa, like what's their going head on? was focused on their dumb. Little little game that they're playing yeah. on their phone you slam your fist on the table and start like yelling in character they're in. you instantly they're have focused. everybody's attention again yeah <laughs> the last thing that we'd say with role playing and being a role model is as the dm don't slam the door when opportunities for other players to role play come up if other players give you opportunities like an open doors that are like oh, this is a great role-playing opportunity. Don't slam the door on them. Don't move on. Like, try and grasp onto that and see where they're going and let them role-play. One of the best things is when players just start role-playing and talking to each other in character. And I, as a DM, I've made the mistake of going, all right, it's time to move on and tried to, like, hurry them up. And I'm like, no, like... Let them let them talk in character. Right. I don't care right. if it's about like the food they're eating. That's something so trivial. Like let them do it. Let them role play. Be a role model by being quiet every now and then and letting them talk amongst themselves. And as the DM, you're always gonna get enough attention. But let them talk amongst themselves and have that role playing opportunity. Don't slam that door in their faces. 
All right, so we've talked about the role playing, and that for for us, that is the biggest part of Dungeons and Dragons. It's where a lot of the fun will come from. But there are people who play Dungeons and Dragons who focus way more on the combat, and that's what they have fun with. And, and even that's people that fun. love that's great. Yeah, even people that love role playing still love the combat yeah. oh, too. Yeah. At the same time, yeah, you could have a group that maybe you have a mixture, or maybe they all appreciate them equally and so let's talk about the combat and the monsters a little bit now we are like we said we're not getting really into the rules and part of that is because one (laughs) it's boring if we just ramble on about the rules two there's all these additions now of dungeons and dragons so if we talk about rules we would have to either cover so many additions or pick one edition and then exclude people so we're not going to do that However, we we want to talk about the rules as far as we did talk about you don't have to know all the rules. What happens in combat, Chris, when we're DMing and we come to a part in combat, like let's let's give 3.5 for example. We play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons 3.5. Grappling yeah. is known to just be like how do I do it? Yeah, I well, don't know. It's something that I think, even though so we've done times. it a lot, yeah. we still look it up. Well, because it's so complicated. So you are DMing. You're a new DM, and you come across rules in the game, and you don't know what to do. What do you What do you do in that kind of situation? I thank Al Gore for saving us from global warming <laughs> and for providing us the internet. And I go to the internet. Yeah. yeah. So I th- and I think that's the thing. I think there's a couple things you can do when. And this comes into play with spells, and sometimes you come into contact with like loopholes that you're yeah. just like, oh, that spell happens, but I set off this spell, so wait, how does how that does work? That and work sometimes together? there's yeah. inconsistencies. And so, one, you work as a group, and together you find the answer quick. We do that, or there's the simple, we make a house rule for it. And a house rule is simply, it stays in, it's for this house, this is what we're going to do. Doesn't matter what everybody else is doing, but this is what we've agreed upon as our house rule, how we're going to do it. And maybe you just say, all right, just for tonight. We'll learn the rule afterwards, but just for tonight, you can either do one of two ways with that. You as the DM go and make your best call. Like, all right, here's what it's going to be, guys. Like, we can figure out the rule later if we want to, but here's what we're going to do right now. In the case of grappling, you know what? It's just going to be strength check versus strength check. There you go. Or you can say, let's put it to a vote. And choose the thing that we all decide, the majority decides, this is the best way to do it. So let's vote. Is it going to be a strength check versus strength check, or is it going to be this or that? Another, I guess another way, too, is also deciding, all right, well, what works best? In the case of, like, spells and things, like, this spell works this way and comes into contact with this spell, how does that work? In some cases, it might be, like, as you're DMing and you're creating this world, you might have to take a second and go, hold on, guys, I need to figure out how in my world that's going to work. Because it might be a question of like lore or something being changed because of a certain loophole or inconsistency in spells or whatever it is. So make the best call, work together as a group. We would, I think, say in general... Don't spend an hour talking about a rule in the yeah. middle of combat. You will lose people. <laughs> like, yeah, I think if it's going to take, if if you guys are looking for like two, three minutes, you can't come up with an answer, make a judgment as a DM. Just take over control a little bit. And this may be a little intimidating the first time, but just say, okay, this is what we're going to do for the sake of just moving on for mm-hmm. now. And your players might still keep looking at it and they might come up 10 minutes later and say, oh, this is what we were supposed to do. And you're like, okay. Thank you. That's what we'll do from now on. 
but we've moved on from it for now, you know? So if you have to, if there's a rule that you're just taking forever and ever and ever on, just take over, just move on, just go to the next thing and just continue on with combat. I think when you're trying to understand monsters and such, there's a couple things that you as a DM do need to understand as far as monsters. And depending on what edition you're looking at, 5e has broken down monsters to be pretty simple. Yeah. 3.5, it's not so much that case. There's they some can monsters be that take pages and pages and of stuff. And 5e has some complicated yes. monsters too. Yep. But in general, there's some things as a DM, yes, we're not going to talk a lot about rules, but that you should understand. First of all, you need to have an understanding of AC, and we're not going to hear talk about AC and stuff. That's stuff that you need to know as the Dungeon Master, but uh, some of the most important stats we'd say as the Dungeon Master for looking at when you're looking at monsters is you, you need to be able to go, okay, this monster's AC is this. You need to be able to understand their, like, their speed is this. Know their speed. Know their hit points. Know their two-hit attack. Like, how much is their BAB, their base attack bonus? How much is their damage? Like, beyond that, everything else is stuff that when you're going from specific monster to specific monster, you're going to need to read about and learn. But those specific stats are stuff that you are going to need to understand yeah. when running an encounter. And if you've played D&D, you should understand hit points, and you should understand AC and to hit and all those things. Yeah, I think if worse comes to worse, have the books with you. It'll have a lot of those things yes. right in front of you. So if you don't know, I mean, if you're looking at a Hydra and you don't know what exactly the AC is, you can look at the book. And it'll be right there for you. You'll be able to just glance over it again. But have a good understanding of what armor class is. Have a good understanding of what those things are before you go in and fight with a monster yeah. for the first and time. don't start off a as DMing fighting something that has all these other yeah, weird powers simple. that you don't understand or uh, immunities or all these things. Start simple. Fight orcs. <laughs> start. Yeah. I would say start low level, honestly, because you don't need... Once you get into higher levels... I, as a DM, have been DMing for years, and I still have trouble at high levels just being like, oh, there's so much stuff yeah. to take into account. Like, I th I think it's higher level you get, the more difficult it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, so those are some things that you need to understand when running combat. Now, let's, let's talk about what most people play now is they play in combat with miniatures, and they play with maps. Yeah, these are more of the visual side of yes. things. I mean, you can play with them or you can play without them. Now, yep. we play with them. We play, for the most part, the we, most part play we play with, with them. them. Yep. And so, as far as minis, like, let's talk about minis for a second. You have either two options with minis. You have a very little amount of minis. You have a... Actually, you have three options. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you, you have, have three, yeah. You have a very little amount of minis. Like, we, I know a group that has five minis, and they're so proud of their five minis, which is awesome. Yep. They have, like, uh, five minis each for their characters. Then you have a lot. We have a lot of minis. Yes. <laughs> Between the two of us, we have a lot. We have now. a lot of minis. Yeah. But then you have the third option was you have Do none. Do I need them at all? Or, or yeah. you have none, yeah. Yeah, or you have and none. And so, like, there's, I think, honestly, there's some issues with each of them and there's some great things with each of them i think hey if you have a you have only have a little minute a couple miniatures you have five miniatures one for each character well what do i do well 
just use quarters. Yeah. Use little Print them out tokens. on pieces of paper. Print or them like out, that, yeah. like, to use monsters and whatever, like, to throw them down. And just use your five miniatures as your heroes or whatever. I know we have people that have said they've used the little cardstock yeah. monsters from Paizo that you can get. And that's like, great. You can if, do you, those too. if you're looking for a cheap option, like, you can get the, like, bestiary box sets from the Pathfinder sets that come with, like, 2,000, like paper minis yep. that just stand up then you got a ton then you're at the point where i have a lot of minis. right right now there is a problem i think with having a lot of minis is that moment where you're like oh i'm fighting in a battle and uh now i have to go and find the specific mini for this specific monster yeah. and it you start to like your players start to lose touch with the game you're playing and start to get distracted because you're searching through your right. mini pile for this specific mini and so that, that can be a problem. So if you have a lot of minis, I would say pull out those minis that you're planning on using yeah. for the night and just remember that they're not it's it's about the imagination. Like I think that can be an issue with minis. Some people get focused on the look of the minis. Like I've I've been in battle before with like uh people have thrown down these specific minis and we're fighting this monster and like you've said, Oh, this is like this is this monster and described it and i've gotten too focused on the mini and i forget that i'm not fighting a this monster i'm fighting this monster which i think oh it looks like the mini but it well, doesn't we had that we in your campaign yeah. where you yeah. had you put down an owl bear and you yep. were like this isn't an owl bear this is an owl this bear. is a dire, just a dire bear. bear it's a dire bear <laughs> it's just a dire bear but yeah we had that moment where i was like is this an owl bear can we not remember and it and took a dire away bear's worse yeah, than an it, owl bear. yeah but it was like, is it? I mean, is it not? Like, what? Ah. And so we we see the Im- image of the mini, and it's like, okay, that's what I'm fighting against. When in reality, it could be something, could have different colors. It could do something totally different. It might not even completely look like that. It's just the representation that we have that looks the best. And that's why minis at points, I think, can be a problem. In a game that should be so focused on imagination, yeah. they can be a hindrance because you get so focused on the thing that's in front of you. And we've like we've had that with the with the maps before. Like where it's like, oh, but like this like this is over here and this is over here. And it's like, no guys, it's just like a representation. Right. This map is that I printed out or whatever. Like I want this to be here. And it's like, you get so focused on what you see that you're not imagining it and seeing it in your mind. And so, yeah, whether you have a little group of minis or you have a lot of minis, like be proud of your collection, use it. That's awesome. But what if you have no minis one, you can just use anything as minis. It's fine. But do we even need minis? I think that, it's theater of the mind is worth a try. We we do it every now and then. Like mm-hmm. sometimes I've gone, guys. This like you guys do an impromptu battle, and I'm like, I'm not gonna set this yeah. up if that's okay yeah. with you guys. Like let's just let's just roll and do theater of the mind. So it'll be just a little battle, and we'll just theater of the mind it. We've been doing that on our uh, yeah our, Facebook. our hired yeah. heroes game because it's a Facebook group, and I'm not going to send out a map and change it and edit. Right. It and we could you can do that on Roll Twenty and those kind of apps. But we just do theater of the mind, and I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Like it's a lot of fun. Well, yeah, I think the biggest thing is like we have a huge grid that we set up for battles here. Like it mm-hmm. can be it can be bigger than what we normally set yes. it up for, and that can bog down combat quite mm-hmm. a bit by trying to figure out. Okay, I move five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty. Okay, I'm at. I'm up to the to the enemy. Whereas theater of the mind is just like, am I close? It's like. Yeah, you're in you're in range. You would be able to get there. Where things just kind of they can just go a little bit quicker that way. But the grid also helps you space things out. Say you're going to cast a fireball and you forget where one of your friends is. Oops, you've accidentally <laughs> engulfed them in a fireball. You know, like yep. it can it can help you 
with those types of things as well. So I think the grid has its benefits. Absolutely. I think it doesn't have it. I think it has its disadvantages as well. So it's all up to what you as a Play DM style. are feeling. Yeah. And I, I think I would probably encourage if you're playing, especially recent editions, I would encourage to start off with the map, with the grid, with the minis, even if your minis are quarters and pennies and whatever right. they are, because I think when it comes down to, especially if you're playing like in 3.5 or in any kind of thing where spells have like radiuses and stuff, it makes it easier. Yeah. Okay. So we just encourage you to use a grid and a map. Like I don't have a grid. I don't have a map. Get a piece of poster paper and mark it off in squares. Mm-hmm. Five foot by five foot squares should be about, they, the book says, one inch by one inch. Mm-hmm. So just make your own map. If you want to print out maps, you can, you can find print out maps, you can buy maps, you can find awesome scenery, like just by looking, go to like Michael's, the craft store, go to Hobby Lobby, go to the dollar store around Christmas time. And they always, these dollar stores always have these like little trees. You can just get mm-hmm. a ton of them and like use them. Go outside and find rocks. Yeah, rocks like, and sticks and yeah, stuff. Yeah, sticks yeah. and stuff. Use them as logs and like boulders and things. Yep. You can find really easy like scenery and stuff to make your map come to life and put in like terrain and stuff. But you can just make out of post paper a grid yep. or get like one of those washable grids, which are pretty sweet too. Use a use a dry erase board. Yeah, dry erase board. Draw it out. Too. Like there's all these ways you can do it, but so that's that's kind of our what we want to talk about with miniatures and maps. The next thing we have to talk about with combat is treasure. So your players beat the creatures, the monsters. What do you do with treasure? Chris, I don't know about 5e, about the Dungeon Master's Guide, as far as treasure, if it, say, if it has a chart. I know 3.5 does. It probably does. Um, 3.5 definitely has a chart where it's like, you fight this challenge rating of monster, you're supposed to hand out about this much in worth of treasure. And so you look at like the certain monsters, and it'll also say in the Monsters Manual, like this monster has standard treasure right or less than standard or more than standard depending on it is because if here's the thing if you fight a wolf what's a wolf gonna carry a wolf isn't carrying maybe treasure. something that it accidentally yeah, swallowed maybe if it's not like digested. it bought and it maybe it ate somebody's arm and it had a ring on yeah. it or something and it just didn't happen <laughs> to poop it out yet before right. you killed it and you just happened to cut its stomach open yeah. and find it yeah and that should be like a very slim chance that it right. happens yeah. and like that works but yeah like treasure it becomes in the mind of oh yeah i've got to hand out treasure and so Here's one answer. You can go to the chart and you can figure out how much this creature should have treasure-wise. And then you just go by the chart. Then there's the other preference of your personal preferences DM. Chris, do you use the chart? No, I don't usually use the chart. I do it more on like, what do I think would be around this area Mm -hmm. that I could give out as some sort of treasure? Also, is it... Like, I, I tend to give things out that are intelligent. If it has some sort of intelligence, I give out a little bit more yeah. treasure because it would probably see something and think it was valuable. If it's like a bear, I don't care what kind of bear you have. I don't know if it's going to have a lot of treasure, regardless of what challenge rating it is. Yeah. But I think something that has more intelligence, I'll give out a little bit more gold or something. You know, if it's a human, it'll probably have some gold on it or something like that. But that's usually my personal preference what is it what area of the world are they in what would they find important and does it have any sort of intelligence at all 
I, I also don't use the chart personally. Like that's something that you can, if you as the DM just want to go by the chart and just go by what the book says. Personally, I think the chart is too generous personally. Yeah. <laughs> my world is a little, in my world, magic items are more rare than the D and D book like makes magic items out to be like when I hand out like a super awesome sword, I want it to be a big deal instead of like players just going another really super awesome sword. Well, throw it in the super awesome yeah, right. sword pile. It's right. like I like magic items to be a big deal, and so I'm a little. I guess I'm a little bit more stingy with gold and stuff like that in my campaigns. But it gets the amount of gold that, in my opinion, players collect over time, like gets to be crazy ridiculous amounts as far as what the books like offer up. And so I'm a little bit more stingy with that. And that too should be something that you figure out over the course of DMing and what your you want your world to be. Is it magic items everywhere or are they more rare? Or is it somewhere yeah. in between? The one thing that I would say to be careful with is not going overboard when you're a new DM. Yeah, <laughs> it can break everything pretty yeah. quickly. All of a sudden, you could be sitting there and you've handed out all these cool items because you want to make your players happy and you want to see cool items out there. And then all of a sudden, you realize, oh my gosh, I've just kicked my own butt because I gave all these characters. They're level three characters yeah. and they have a plus five sword. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and they have a ring of fireball that just shoots whenever they yeah. want. And yeah. it's like, no, like you could back yourself in a corner of, I just broke the game because I gave all my players too much stuff right be careful of that i would say be a little stingy starting off so you can get the feel of how much awesome items you want your players to have so that you can be able to run a good game that is a good place to jump into talking about keeping the game balanced yes and so we just talked about kind of items and how that can items can break a game and make uh, and make a game unbalanced but there's a couple other things that can that have to do with game balance the first thing is player character level yeah i think player character level is something that when i first started out i went level one then they went to level two the next night and then went to level three the next night and i was like wow they're progressing really fast or <laughs> where i want the story to go and so, you know, I, I, I think that player character level can get really out of hand quickly, especially, I mean, we do it where everybody gets the same experience regardless. Some people don't do it that yeah. way. Uh, and you I think, miss a night, you're yeah. not getting XP. And I think yeah. one of the things that can get really difficult for players is, say somebody has some stuff going on in life, they can't be there for two weeks in a row. Yep. Say somebody now is level five and somebody's still level three. That can be a big gap that people are trying to overcome and it can become really frustrating for people that are level threes. And it's hard for you as a DM to now plan battles accordingly because you're either going to have something that's really easy for a player character who's level five, who's facing a challenge rating of three. And it's like, Oh, I could kick this thing's butt in my sleep. And then you have, if you plan it too hard, you have somebody who's a level three character who's fighting a challenge rating five or six. And it's like, I'm going to die. He's almost dead after one swipe. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that or could, he is. <laughs> or he is dead after one swipe. Like if you're playing a wizard level one and 3.5, you have barely any health to begin with, you know? So it's like if you miss, if you don't do an equal sort of experience, like if you don't give out the same amount of experience for every single player, it can get really out of hand quickly as far as keeping the balance of every encounter that you're going to come up across. So I think keeping the PC level 
balanced is very, very important as a DM. It's hard because both you and me are going to land on that advice. Like, keep the X be the same for every single person playing the game. There are DMs who would argue with us, and that's okay. Everybody DMs in a different way, but we the one of the biggest things that we want that to be in our games is because we have, like you said, we've seen issues come of that, whether it's players just being so ridiculously more powerful players having monsters just totally unfair battles having somebody running out of the room because they can't fight them we've seen players who like i've had a player who was three or four levels ahead of another player and that player would threaten the other player and the other player would be like nothing he could do yeah i I know that he could kick my butt and it's like that's that is not cool yeah that is not a fun position to be in a player should not be that high that he can threaten another player's character and get away with it it's just that's just not cool and we would just say it's also just easier as the dm it's easier if your players don't like it just be like hey just give it a chance just just roll with me man yeah. just that's how i want to dm yeah i'm sorry if you don't like it but that's how i want to dm another area of balance like we said is monster level we talked a little about that with like how that can get unbalanced if you talk about pcs not being the same level but there needs to be this understanding of from you as the dm of what type of monster how strong of a monster your players can face and honestly there is no easy here's the equation for how it is a lot of the newer editions have challenge ratings for monsters and challenge rating charts of if you have a group of this many pcs and they're at this level they should be able to beat this guy this should be a hard and easy uh medium encounter and so here's your challenge rating well here's the thing challenge ratings are great but they're not always you're still dealing with random probabilities they're not always accurate and yeah like and there's there's random probabilities there's random rolls there's also well this party is all full of uh weight a lot of magic users and so they don't have this specific thing and so you're coming against something that is really good about making you like poisoned or something something that needs fortitude saves or whatever it is and your players are going to be terrible at that yeah so it's it is a learning process. We we just in a recent uh, episode talked about even in the middle of battle, like possibly changing the stats of monsters. One person wrote into us and was like, "Hey, I don't think that's right." I and I completely understand. Yeah. He was like, he was yeah. like, "That's not cool." Where's the integrity of the game if you're changing stats of monsters? And I think what we really were trying to say is. In your learning of being a DM, you're there's going to be some mistakes, and players should not all die because you as a DM made the mistake of making them fight something that you realize they they Especially can't. Especially being a new DM, yeah. when you're learning, yeah. And so there may be times where you're you're just going to have to be like, this is this is on me. I made a mistake. I screwed up. Like, I'm going to have to cut this HP in half because they will all die because I didn't realize that at this level, they're not going to be able to beat this. It's impossible. Well, there's also the side of it, too. And I was just thinking about this the first couple of times that I DM'd. I tried to, on purpose, make the encounters way easier Mm -hmm. because I wanted everybody to have fun. And I thought, oh not making this a challenge would be really cool for them. They would really enjoy just being able just to cut through everything butt. and just yeah. love it. And what I've come to find out is some of the best times that I've ever played and some of the best times I've ever DM'd 
where the really times where the people ones. were really, really challenged yeah. because they felt like they accomplished something. That mirror men battle that we yeah. talked about, yeah. like where you guys almost die. Well, two people did die in the tears. Yeah. That like is it's a memorable battle. Yeah. That and the one on top of the Crow's Fort nest. Yeah. The one on top of the yeah. Crow's Fort nest where we had to face the other orcs and whatever else came out of the from yeah. the evil gods was with also your old PCs. Yeah, with our yep. old PCs. That was another time where it was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Are we this gonna is lose so here? cool, though, that we <laughs> yeah. did this. So I think keeping monster balance, sometimes you can make them too hard, and that's on you. It's okay, I would say, to lower it a little bit if you made the mistake. Also, don't always make it underwhelming for the for the, yeah. the characters that are playing either because that can just become so mundane and so monotonous at the same time. So I've don't be afraid video to games spice things that are up. Just like, wow, this game is so easy yeah. that it just becomes so boring so quick. Like that was my first time through Skyrim. Yeah. Yeah. There's the other side of the coin where like some people hate the game Dark Souls because it's so difficult. Yeah. But some people love it because it's so difficult. But yeah, there's I like I personally I can't stand a video game if it's so ridiculously easy. Yeah. There are video games like for kids like out there like Elmo's goes to Grouchland or something like that. I could go and play that and be like, ah, the letter A, that's the letter A, and win like super easy. And you're like pushing five-year-olds out of the way. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm so good. You suck. But like, Mitch, you're in a Chuck E. Cheese. What are you doing? <laughs> but like, is that going to be fun for me because there's no challenge? No, absolutely yeah. not. Another way to keep the game balanced is talking about skill balances. Like whatever edition you're using, whatever skills, you need to make the skills something that – it doesn't have to be easy. It can be really hard, but it should be something that's accomplishable. Yeah. Unless you're introducing something like early game, like here's a vault. Like, oh, I'm going to try to open lock. You got a 21, which is the highest you can roll. It doesn't work. And it's because you're introducing something that you're like, this is something you're going to have to come back to later on in the game. Yeah. Like, yeah. unless it's something like that. You want your skill challenges to be something that they can accomplish. Maybe that means you want to know the character sheets a little bit and where their skills are at so that you can go, okay, this is a good skill check for this. But making the skill check levels a good balance is a good thing to keep your players interested and able to play the game. Yeah, now I would also argue on that point, if you if your group was going into a dungeon and they didn't have a rogue, that doesn't mean take out all of the locked doors yeah. and all of the trapped doors and stuff like no, that. Yeah. Keep those things in there because that's on them that they don't have a rogue <laughs> with them. They didn't go out. Even if even if it was like they went out and hired an NPC rogue to come with them, well done. You yep. thought ahead Good to job. have an NPC rogue come with you. Now you can make sure that you're finding traps potentially. Mm-hmm. But if they don't, don't completely take them out just because they don't have skills with them. Keep those things in there. Next, we want to talk about keeping a good game pace, and we talked a little bit about the rules, about in combat and stuff like that. When you come across the rules and you don't know a rule and you're just like, ah, we don't know this rule, don't spend an hour looking it up. We talked about that. Make a good call. Make the right call amongst your group. Move on. Get to the story. Get through the combat. Don't bog it down with the rules. But going along with this keeping a good game pace, I think there's also, as a DM, you are running the game for all the players at the table. So don't focus on one player too long. 
and not and leave every other player yeah. like just sitting there doing nothing. And that doesn't mean that you can't have like little like, oh, this guy goes off by himself and does this. But you need to have a mindset of like, I want to give all my players an equal amount of time. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of the times it's good to as the party the party's doing stuff together as a team. But there are gonna be points where this guy wants to go and do something by himself or whatever. It's awful. If you and I've seen it happen, and I've been sitting there like waiting an hour because the DM decided, oh, like, yeah, I'll let you go and do this. And this one guy's running around trying to assassinate this dude in the city, it has nothing to do with the quest we're on, right. but he's trying to trying to join the Assassin's Guild. And I'm just like, I'm sitting there for over an hour. And I'm just like, I have nothing to do right now. Even if you have to go, all right, five minutes here to you, then we're going back to the uh, the other players, and we're going to let them do something like right. side quests without you. Like, you need to be able to pace the game so that everybody's engaged and not, like, sitting there. And, I mean, if you don't engage your players, what's going to happen, Chris? <laughs> your players aren't going to engage you. And then they're going to, like, have side conversations, and then they're going to have their electronics out. We've seen it, and that's why we say no electronics at the table, please, unless it's for yeah. D&D purposes. They're going to start walking away. They're going to go into the other room and start like playing a video game. You want to keep a good pace of game and I mean sometimes that even means like okay, we're going to I'm going to focus on this player like because we have I have to for this reason. Why don't the rest of you go take a break? Go grab some food whatever it is and you you just don't want to do it too much. You want to be able to do it at a good pace yeah. and keep everybody engaged like you said. Yeah, and I think too we do probably about five, four and a half, five hour sessions every time we get together. Maybe a little bit longer than that sometimes. I think one thing that we notice about nine, nine thirty, we start at six thirty, about halfway through, we yep. get to the point where it's like people are getting tired yep. or they're just getting we all hungry have jobs or, and we all have all, yep, real life. <laughs> yeah, but we all we all want to keep playing for a little while. And I think one thing that can help with Keeping a good game pace, as long as you keep the break to a, a short enough amount that gets everybody rested, gets, you know, they can go get food or whatever. Food always helps. Take a little <laughs> bit of a break. Yeah. Yep. We conveniently have a Wendy's right across yep. the street from where we play. So we go and get some Wendy's sometimes. Uh, but I think just taking a break, having people get up and stretch, go use the bathroom, get something to drink, whatever, is a good way to have people have those conversations. They check out for a little while because something might be a little overwhelming or whatever it is. They can come back and sit down, and you can keep going again for another couple hours, and you don't have any more hindrances. You don't have anything getting in the way of you guys having a great time. And so I think taking breaks can be a good thing. Yeah. It can also be a bad thing. It can. <laughs> yeah. It could also be you could take the break at the wrong time, and so you come back, and it's like, okay, all of the momentum that we had, all of the suspense that we had is now gone. You could take a break, and it could be – at a time when people, yeah, if they're really invested, now they're just super uninvested the rest of or, the night. Or the break is too long that it's like, oh, they've already, they've checked out now yeah. at this point. Yeah. Oh, or it's too we weird to yeah. come back even. Or even too long to the point where maybe somebody calls you up five minutes before you're supposed to start. Where's this dude? Oh, I'm getting a call from him. You're not coming back? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So taking a break, you got to be careful with it, but it, it can be a good thing. And yeah. Food is amazing. Food definitely helps. That's why we try to encourage snacks because, like, it it keeps people awake. It keeps people involved. Yeah. It gives them energy. Not having food, I we when we were in college and we had those really long days, if we didn't break for food, like, 
it was cranky. Cranky people at the table, and we'd break for dinner, and people come back and be like, I'm ready to play. I'm yeah. so happy now. Hey, we're best like, friends. Wow, that changed. We're like, best friends, yeah. and you're still holding a knife to the guy's <laughs> right. throat. Like, uh, are you still doing that? Right. No, I'm good. No, I'm, I'm right good. now. <laughs> Keeping a good game pace is really important. We have a couple other things that we just want to just note on. <laughs> note on. <laughs> because our next one is remember to take notes as the dm especially if you're coming up with a homebrew world that you're going to need to remember npcs that your players you do need to pull out of your butt in improv because your player said hey i need to find the wig shop owner maybe they're going to go back to their wig shop so you're going to want to write we down need to find a tailor yeah. that has three <laughs> halflings is, that run this it. is the tailor's shop name and these are the people who, who run it just have a dm notebook like just something that you can write down notes that pertain yep. to your adventure that you can remember and add on to your world. And like if you are creating that homebrew world, I've had it happen. I'm sure you've had it happen, Chris, where a player will ask something or do something. It makes you go, huh, I don't know how that works in my world. And you have to all, like even on the spot, like take a couple seconds and think, how do I want that to work yeah. in my world? Yeah. And so then you write that down in your notebook and then analyze it later and go, OK, now what? What comes of this? This is just added to my world's lore. Like, yeah. let's work on this more. The main thing that I take notes for, I think, is for NPCs that you guys run into. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys had a couple weeks ago when you when you guys, once again, were with Dwalem. You won those ships. You had to find people that you could hire to run one of the ships yep. as, like, a first cruise liner in Panthea. Like, you guys had to find some people. And you guys walked around to a lot of different people. And I had to remember to write down all of these <laughs> names because now you have some people working for you that it's going to be important that those names come back yep. up. Uh, and so I think the biggest thing is you will forget if you don't write things down. So yep. whether or not you use, I mean, Evernote is great. I, I've used it. I use it every once in a while still. Some of our listeners have said they use OneNote. OneNote, whatever it is. You could use Word. You yep, could use, you could use whatever, whatever it is. I've, I've, reverted, I've reverted back to just having a notebook with yep. me. Um, because I like that, the notebook yeah, personally. For some too. reason, there's just I just like being able to write it down. It goes right back on my desk at home next to my computer when I get back, and it's always right there. Um, if it's in a program and I don't physically see it in front of me, I won't remember it. Mm-hmm. I won't remember to go back unless it's like, oh, yeah, I need to look in there. If I if I just all of a sudden remember it, uh, yep. I, I personally like having just a notebook with me that I oh, can yeah. write things down. Take notes. That's a good note to take down right now. Yeah, yeah. We should have told <laughs> remember, you at the beginning. Take notes. <laughs> we should have told you at the beginning. Remember <laughs> to take notes. That should have been our first uh, thing. Just a couple last things to talk about. We say it all the time on our podcast. But know your players. And when we say know your players, we mean you are running this game of Dungeons and Dragons or Shadowrun or whatever you're running. What type of game do your players want to play? Because if you're not running a game your players are interested in, you're either not going to have players to start off with or you're going to lose them. And so as much as it can be your story, you need to understand who your players are and give them what they want to an extent. And so you, if you have role playing focus players, like give them opportunities to role play. Yep. If you have combat focus players, a whole entire campaign with no combat, you're going to lose them really quick. Give them combat. If you have those players that like challenging combats, like we were talking about, give them challenging combats. If you have a player, players that start to say like, 
oh, we're always playing challenging combats. I never feel like I'm kicking butt. Then throw in a couple ones where they're yeah. they're level five and they're fighting orcs and just cleave, 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 just yeah. killing or even, them. Or even if it's a creature that only they can do damage against. Yeah. Like if it's something oh, that yeah, has... Yeah, let if them like, shine. If they're a magic user and magic, what a certain type of magic does more damage to a creature, give them that opportunity yeah. to do it, yeah. Also, if you have players who love puzzles and riddles... Like, throw that in. Yeah. The flip side also is something to take note of. If you have players that every single one hates it when you drop a riddle and like not just like they're like oh this is hard like it's a challenge to me but if they absolutely hate it and they have no fun yeah then maybe you should stop using riddles yeah. and puzzles maybe that's just not their game that they want to play along with knowing your players we come back to our discussion that we had about what about fudging dice roll you roll three nat 20s for monsters your players are all going to die is it okay to behind your dm screen go okay they hit but i'm not gonna nat 20 with that i think once again you need to know your players yeah if you're playing with people who want by the book by the rules whatever the dice lands on even if it ends the adventure that's what i want then don't fudge the dice they don't really want that don't fudge the dice they don't really want that (laughs) i think maybe there are some people that would however it's i know i have rolled crazy for for monsters for and then i've rolled some some sometimes i've rolled in combat like terrible terrible for monsters that are supposed to be bosses and i want to make it a challenge because challenges are fun and so i'll make them hit more now i think the problem is when you're making when you're fudging dice rolls and you make a dice roll fudged and then it kills a player yeah that's a problem yeah you shouldn't be pretending to roll certain things and killing players not a good thing however is it okay to fudge rolls i don't know if i want to say yes or no because i think once i think that is up to you as a dm and up to how you know your players but i think fudging dice rolls can make a game it can make things move in a direction that is fun for everybody. And that's that's needs to be the focus. As DM, you're not versing your players. You are with your friends trying to make a better game. So yeah. make it a better game experience. Don't fudge roles because you're like, I don't like this guy, so I want to make him suffer. Like, yeah. not a good DM yeah. thing to do. Don't do that. Along with that, like Chris was saying, know your player characters too like if this player is playing a paladin give him something paladin like to do like give him some moral dilemmas that he has to kind of struggle with so he can role play his character if he's a wizard throw some throw monster in that's immune to physical damage so the wizard can shine like yeah but also know what they work together with them on their backgrounds but also like know who their characters are so that you can open up role playing doors for them they are the heroes of the campaign. Yep. So they make are. them the heroes. Yep. Your NPCs can be cool. They can be heroes. But in the end, your players want their players, to sh- their player characters to shine. Everybody feels good when they're, if like I'm playing a rogue right now, when I get to unlock that lock that prevents everybody from getting hit or get to disable that device that would have had everybody get hit by a fireball. Yeah. I feel pretty darn good that I disabled I that. I did what I was supposed yeah, to I do. Yeah, I did what my character was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, Give your players those opportunities to shine because they'll remember it, they'll love it, and they'll have fun playing in your campaign. Yeah. I think one other thing to talk about, do you do pre-made modules or do you do homebrew campaigns? I love doing a homebrew campaign. Yeah, we both do. I, I've We're also both going to be done, a little biased in this yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> I've also done pre-made modules, which are fun. I enjoy doing those too. 
But I think letting my creative juices flow in a homebrew campaign is by far, for me at least, the one that I would go with. If you're looking to DM for the first time, I would recommend going with a pre-made module the first time. If your group gets together, if you have a group of friends that say, hey, we would love to play Dungeons and Dragons, start out with a pre-made module because you can get a good balance. It, it basically takes you step by step by step by step. Here's how you would run a campaign. Do that the first time through, get a good understanding, and then you will have done a pre-made module. You can make that call. You can then go on to try a homebrew campaign. And you can realize I really suck at making <laughs> things up. I really am awful at storytelling. Maybe pre-made module uh, is for you. And maybe pre-made module is for you. I would say try both and then make a decision for yourself. I would never say never do a pre-made module or never say never do a homebrew never campaign. Say never. Yeah, right. Justin Bieber <laughs> is loving us right now. Uh, but I think just figure out what works for you and maybe even take things from a homebrew campaign and put it into a pre-made campaign or take things from a pre-made campaign and put it into a homebrew campaign my advice is a little different so this might be a little difficult for you as a listener because you're like who do i listen but like i think i think it depends on who you are as a player i would say if you're like i want to dm i want to make a story especially if you want to make a world i think you need to take the advice of us at the beginning of the episode and start small like start with a little island or something like that start with a town but i would say jump in and start a homebrew campaign and the reason that i say that is because at least for me, I know if I started with a pre-generated mo- module, there might have been too many, depending on what you're playing, might be too many rules in there that it's like, oh, gosh. Some modules are written really well that help you understand. A starter Some set is a pretty good way a to start. A starter set is yeah, a good start, one. Yeah. I think that's what I was referring more yeah, to than a pre-made. That's what you start with 5e. And I think that's yeah. a lot of what a lot of people who started playing did 5e. Yeah. I would say start with a starter set. I'll yeah. change my opinion yeah. about pre-mades, but just do... Neither of us is right and neither of us is wrong. This is just our own advice. I I just say uh, one of the benefits, I think, for starting with a homebrew module, a homebrew campaign setting, if you are the storyteller person, is that you're going to know that story by heart. You're going to know it because it's your creation. Whereas if you're playing in a pre-gen, I think both Chris, you and me would uh, both say one of the cons of pre-generated modules is not your world it's not your story and so there's moments where you go like your players go oh what was the lore of this uh give me give me a second i I gotta look this up like and so you waste time like looking things up if it's your world even if you don't know it you can take a second and figure it out so both of those options are viable options for you to take as a new dm you just need to figure out which one you want more honestly both of them i think require a level of preparation yes. because you can't sit down i don't think at a game and run a pre-generated module well by just reading it for the first time at the table with your players yeah. you need to read it you need to know it i think to run a good pre-generated model game yeah. at the same time you can't sit down without a map of anything without a story and go all right homebrew campaign i'm gonna make it up as we go tonight you, you can do both of those. They're not going to be the best way to do yeah. it. So uh, there are pros and cons to both of them. Last thing we want to say is if you're DMing for the first time, mistakes will be made, and it's okay. <laughs> yes. Be okay with it. Yes. Chris, you and me, we still make mistakes. We still, like, have sessions where, like, a lot of times we'll talk about, like, how did, how did tonight go? Like, when everybody else leaves, we'll go, how did tonight go? What did you think? And we'll have moments where we're just like, ah, oh, I wish I did this differently. Yeah. I realized, like, 20 minutes after, like, ah, oh, I should have done this. You'll make mistakes as a DM. 
It's okay. You're going to be your just toughest learn. critic, yeah. honestly, through yeah. the whole thing. And the reality is I've had nights where I thought I did just awful. Mm-hmm. And you guys were like, that was so that much was so fun. Much fun. Yeah. I felt like I made a lot of mistakes, but yet everybody still had fun. I would say mistakes will be made. It's okay. Just enjoy the time yeah. you have together. And learn from your mistakes and just go, all right, I just need to, I want to better myself. And that's okay. So that's what we have for you all. This is our DMs for Dummies episode. So if you have anybody who's looking to get into dungeon mastering for the first time, point them to this episode. It'll have a lot of a lot of things, pretty much everything they'll need to know about starting out as a first time DM. So send that that send them the link to this episode and have them get started listening there. But before we get to the ending of the episode, we are going to move into our mailbag of holding. They have been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? In this segment of the Mailbag of Holding, the place where we share ideas, stories, and questions from you, the listener, Chris, we have an email that we're going to share a story that's a pretty awesome story about Dungeons & Dragons. So tell us about this email. Yeah, this email came in from Double T. That was the name given to us at the end of the episode. He writes, Hello, DM Chris and DM Mitch. I've been playing D&D off and on for nearly 15 years now. And with the release of 5th edition, I felt it was time to give Dungeon Mastering a go. This has gifted me with what will likely be one of my best memories of playing this game. I invited my girlfriend, a mutual friend, and his fiance to come play. We started with the box set Lost Minds of Fendelver. Now our friend's fiance is in rather poor condition health-wise. She has had some serious surgery and is looking at a few years of recovery. She also has never played D&D before in her life. We were playing through the first encounter, and she rolls a freight train of pain into the goblin leader, (laughs) saving the party from a TPK, whom had taken a beating and were licking the cave floor. As I explained what happened, her face just lit up. She was elated. Despite being physically frail and always in some measure of pain, playing D&D has allowed her to escape it all for just a bit and even be everyone's hero. This made a game I personally enjoyed all that much more enjoyable. We are going to be starting a custom campaign soon, and she has inspired me to try even harder. Thanks for the great podcast, Double T. I think that's pretty darn cool. That's awesome. That's definitely a story that we thought needed to be shared. Yeah, I think D&D has a way of, especially in this in this woman's case, of getting her mind off of the pain and things that were going on around her, the things that she was literally feeling inside of her body, to get her to a point where she could have some fun, which... I've had a lot of friends who have had medical issues, and that is one of the hardest things for them to do is have fun. And so I think this, for, for her, is probably one of the most memorable things. And even for him, he said, this is one of the most memorable things, and it's made me want to try harder to help her have more of those moments. Is just brilliant to yeah. me, being able to give that. It's a game, but it's a game that can definitely affect your life and in a great, positive way. It's just a lot of fun with friends and that's just such an awesome story i'm glad that he sent it in to share with us that story and definitely a story that we thought needed to be shared yeah well with that let's pass it on over to dm neil and dm main prize for another dm nastics welcome back to dm nastics the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds i'm dm neil aka joke maniac and i am dm main prize For this Diamnastics, we tied it back to episode number 29, League of Legends, Shirima. Unfortunately, there was no guest for this episode. Sadly, there was no guest. It's always sad when there's not a guest because guests are awesome. However, we titled this Diamnastics League of Lore. 
This was DMnastics number 12. And my idea when I, when I made the post was that, you know, League of Legends has some really cool lore, but it's only one game. There's so many video games. There's also so many movies, so many books, so many comics. There's so much content out there in the world that's awesome and that you can draw inspiration from. So the idea was to post something like, say, Lord of the Rings, and the person who comments after you has to pick something in that that inspires them. And then they would post something else like Star Wars. And the next person posts something that inspires them from Star Wars. This, whether it could be a villain, storytelling, idea, all of it. So that's kind of the setup of that one. So one of the ideas Almerian Knight posted was Monty Python. You know, he posted, hey, Monty Python's really funny, really cool. What do you draw as inspiration from that? And so Joe Moniak here, DM Neil, he is the one who actually responded to that request. A lot of games start out as pretty serious or the intent of the DM is to have it be pretty serious. But I think the common saying is that no plan survives contact with the enemy. So often the game will devolve in some way or another. So instead of looking like Lord of the Rings, it looks a lot more like Monty Python. But instead of reprimanding or trying to get your players to conform to a certain idea, you can take Monty Python as an example to let them just let loose every now and again. And hopefully that'll let your players know that those opportunities will present themselves. So then when it's time to be serious, they're actually able to do that. The other idea is to potentially just make a one-off that is just absolutely over the top. A rabbit that kills everyone. That rabbit's got a vicious street a mile wide. It's a killer. Trying to figure out whether or not it's the African or European speed of a swallow. Who do you know so much about swallows? Well, you have to know these things when you're a king, you know but just to go completely off the rail. So the idea that I came up with to pass the baton was Marvel Comics. I love Marvel Comics, super into it as a kid, recently jumped back in as, as deep as possible the past few years with all the movies coming out, and specifically like that ensemble cast that Marvel does so well. Obviously, the Avengers and the X-Men are the most common that you would think of, but for me... It was the Uncanny X-Force that really stands out uh, as a place to pull inspiration from. And surprisingly enough, none other than DM Main Prize was the one that picked up the baton. So I, I picked up the baton, as it were, and, and I decided to do some research on Uncanny X-Force. I'm, I'm a Marvel fan. I used to have a couple books that were like, you know, the Marvel Universe Encyclopedia. I knew Uncanny X-Force was a thing, but I'd never read their issues. I wasn't really positive on who was in their roster as far as heroes. So I did some research. And one thing I thought was really cool was one of the story arcs they had had to do with Apocalypse. And he's kind of a classic like X-Men villain. So I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, X-Force, they're probably obviously they're related. They're mutants. But what are they doing with Apocalypse? So it was interesting because in the story, Apocalypse had been kind of reborn, kind of reincarnated as like a young kid and that kind of created a moral struggle within x-force as they were hunting him down because they were like do we feel comfortable like killing a kid who so far has done nothing wrong they knew that it was apocalypse and he would become a terrible evil but they had to struggle with that and really the idea i wanted to take from it was like the idea of reincarnating a villain that your party had defeated in the past or your players and it's a great idea you know if they had a villain they really 
hated because he was just a terrible guy and they loved so much being able to finally beat him, maybe bring him back in an interesting way, whether it's as a kid and maybe bring him back as like a helpful NPC that eventually stabs him in the back. You could do a lot of things with that idea of reincarnating a villain and then having to reface them. I think they'd really like that because it'd be kind of nostalgic for them. Maybe if it was the first villain they ever fought, that would be really cool. On the forums, that post is obviously still up, as are all these. So if you ever want to go reread what we've typed, that would be awesome. And you can pick up where we left off because the challenge is always there. Even if we move on to new gymnastics, you know, we, we love when people join the forums and go back and refill out all the ones because it reignites those conversations. So, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, maybe it's your first time, maybe you've listened to every episode. Uh, we really urge you guys to join the forums, get involved in these like challenges and exercises, as well as in all the other awesome conversations that we, we have on there. To do that, just head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net. Try some gymnastics so your players don't ask, do you even lift? I got to get a pump. That's it. It's good. It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. Chris, if they have more stories that maybe they want to send in, people want to send in and share with us, where can they send in their stories, ideas, their questions to? Yeah, you can send us uh, an email at our dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com email address. Uh, send us in. If you have any more stories like Double T, send those in. If you have any stories about somebody becoming a first-time DM or your story of yeah. becoming a first-time DM, send those in. We would love to read and we'd love to interact with you about those experiences that you've had. You can also, if you know anybody that is loving this podcast or anybody that is a new podcast, tell them to go check out our iTunes. Have them go back, listen to the rest of them. If it's their first time ever playing, we have a lot of good stuff. I mean, we have 40, what, five episodes at this point in time? <laughs> uh, we have quite a few episodes by this point in time. A lot of listening, probably like two days worth of listening at this point in time. Have them go back. Well, we have over two, two days of listening yep, at this point in time. Have them go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and go through our backlog and, and listen to all of those. You can also find us on Stitcher as well. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. You can like our Facebook page. Both of those places have updates on the show and dungeon mastering goodness all around. This week, we have a Patreon member shout-out and that shout-out goes to J.M. Perkins. Wow, thanks so much, J.M. Yeah, Perkins. thank you Our very buddy, much. J.M. Perkins, the master of the apocalypse. <laughs> and also the Atticate Climber. And also a bronze dragon. Also a bronze dragon. So fitting, J.M. Perkins will actually, unless the apocalypse happens, be joining us on an upcoming episode of the Dungeon Master's Block to talk about his new game book, The Adequate Commoner. Well, with that, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. We hope that you have enjoyed it as we have talked about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. Have a good night, everyone. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.